and welcome back. Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. There's a bunch to do here today. I'll put my monologue at the top of the third hour um, in our five o'clock hour. Primaries going on, uh, I guess, uh, five of them. Most eyes are on Pennsylvania, particularly the uh, Oz Barnett <clears throat> race for Senate. You know what I was just thinking before air? We, I don't think we'll know much. Uh, polls will close this out there in our third hour. Yeah, in the middle of our third hour. I don't think we'll have results tonight on it. I don't think we will. But um, if we do, we'll share them with you. But it does put an interesting question. I was just thinking about this. Uh, we, I often will quote the Buckley line in primaries, the William F. Buckley line in primaries, uh, about you know what to look for in a primary candidate, which is uh, the most uh, conservative candidate who who can win, and the Pennsylvania race it seems to me puts a real stress on that uh, question. I don't know if the question helps there. Uh, why do I say that? The issues, as I understand it, watching the Oz Barnett uh, race, there's a third candidate who hasn't made as much news, is that um, the concerns about Oz are that. He isn't necessarily all that conservative or his conservatism is so recent, it's hard to say. And there's a lot of questions about things he has said and done in the last three or four years, not farther, um, that, you know, we're on the side of liberal left, um, liberal liberal left ideology, liberal left partisan uh, politics. On the other hand, you seem to have a very articulate and very conservative um, candidate uh, in Barnett. But also seems to have a lot, a lot of baggage, almost a 747 full full of suitcases worth of baggage um, with regard to previous uh, social media posts and previous statements that will make it very uh, much more all the more difficult to elect her in a general election when the Democrats make a meal out of that. So it kind of puts an interesting stress on that question, doesn't it? That question is not foolproof. And we've had calls even. Uh, with regard to Arizona races. And generally, uh, we've had some of you in the audience talking to me uh, about how that question kind of presumes too much in the first place. I don't know a better one. Uh, I have had this experience lately, and I don't know just as I am thinking and talking out loud with you all, where I, uh, you know, I go to a bunch of different meetings, conservative, Republican, political, and uh, it's interesting to me. I off I you know I have a catalog of people I I use quotes from and I've been influenced by and one one of them is William Buckley of course and I don't know if any of you have had this experience. It might be just an interesting table game um, a little bit where I mention his name and I get a kind of a blank stare uh, and I say you know who B- William Buckley is or Bill Buckley and they they kind of give me a stare like. And it's not a stare like I'm asking an obvious question. It's a stare like you're asking me like I should know. Am I wrong to think that um, this giant oak has faded from the scene, too, so much so that in all our uh, in, in all the all the all the room in our brains <laughs> that's been taken up by other stuff, people like Buckley have uh, fallen by the wayside. I, I wonder about that. I just wonder about that. Not not the main issue I wanted to start with today, but just a couple thinking points. I'm happy to throw out there. I'll give you the number if you want to weigh in: six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Might be interesting to think about other people you thought were so well-known in our world that just aren't anymore. You're going to find that in literature, by the way, of course, you know. 
I, um, I, I increasingly find uh, the need to explain where my dog's name comes from. I'm increasingly having to explain who Ann Rand was. Uh, that's, you know, it's fine. She's not at the Buckley level, but you know, it's a big book. Uh, it was a pretty big book. <laughs> and anyway, anyone you guys are thinking of that you're surprised uh, have fallen by the wayside, I, I have no hope for literacy, literature, greats in literature like Shakespeare. That's that's long gone. That's that's for years been gone from even English majors in Ivy League colleges. Did you know that? Well over 70 percent of colleges and universities that um, have requirements for an English major don't even require a course in Shakespeare or have a, any teaching on Shakespeare whatsoever. It's kind of the thing Mark Bauerlein was talking with us about yesterday. You replace something with something. Is the something that is replacing the old stuff better, or is it just more avant-garde, new, and unique? I don't know. The story I wanted to start with was this eyebrow razor, sort of. Politico uh, reporting that Joe Biden is, quote, finally rethinking efforts to reach across the aisle and work with Republican lawmakers because of their obstructionism. Apparently, Joe Biden has been trying hard for bipartisanship, so much so that Democrats have been annoyed and to the frustration of many Democrats and some of his closest advisors. So Joe Biden is um, now saying his new strategy will not be to work with Democrats. What's changed? What's new? Think about it this way. I'll get into some text in a moment on this, some evidence in a moment on this. But think about the evidence that's not there. How many times, think a moment, how many times in the two most recent presidencies we can think of, obviously, Barack Obama's and Donald Trump's, did you see, uh, you know, video, uh, live, record, live, live shots, live to tape of the president, Obama or Trump, meeting with fellow congressmen and senators from both parties? Answer all the time. All the time, even with Trump, how many times did you see these meetings with Schumer and Pelosi take place? And then they go outside and hold a press conference from the White House in front of the White House about how badly the meeting went. OK, but there were those meetings. Now, question. Can anyone think of a single video shot or still of Joe Biden meeting with Republican senators or Republican congressmen in the White House or for that matter, anywhere else? I have not seen it. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. The idea that he's now going to stop working with Republicans. When did he start? And why do you think he hasn't had that meeting? Tick, 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 tick. Why do you think he has not had an unscripted meeting with Republican legislators? Bill, you're scratching your head. What do you think the answer is to that? Do you think it's because he's afraid of all his old colleagues? I mean, he spent years and years with these people, years and years with them since, what, 1973, He's been working with a lot of the people that are still there, or certainly, if not since 1973, certainly since the 80s and 90s, certainly since the early aughts. Certainly, these are these are some of them, his old time buddies, and there are no meetings with them. Haven't been. Why? Why is that? Is it because he's angry at them? Or do you think they don't want the opposition to open up the curtain on how Joe Biden operates in unscripted moments? Could it be that? Could it be? Just raising the question. I'll also give you a hint. That's my guess. That's my guess. I have never seen 
and I hadn't thought about it until I read this 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 new strategy of Joe Biden's to now stop working with Republicans. I, I suppose the political strategy to this, there's the political and then there's the cosmetic, which is really in this case much much a much bigger problem. The cosmetic is how he's going to appear and come off. I think that's a much bigger problem when we're talking about the president of the United States. That having been said, um, the, the other problem with it is that I think the Democrats view as a political matter that they have one job between now and November, one job and one job only. And it's a little bit scary to me, I have to tell you, and I don't think it bodes well for our polity. It's another concession to the left in this country. It's another concession. If someone want to call it the radical left, fine. I don't know that you can say radical left anymore because I happen to think the Democratic Party constitutes a radical left and has been doing so for some years. Not always, but has been on that trajectory for some years, and it's firmly there now. You look at the kinds of things they say and the kinds of things they support. This is a radical left political party. But maybe maybe the, uh, the troops on the ground. Maybe the grassroots don't know that, don't feel that. You hear AOC complaining all the time about the Biden administration not embracing their agenda strongly enough, to which I say, what would that look like different from what is now going on? I don't know what more she wants. Uh, But that having been said, the strategy is to energize the left. Now, why does that make me so nervous? It makes me so nervous because I know where the left Goes. I know where the default position of the Democratic Party goes when they're trying to energize the left. It goes to two things, and we are beginning to see the cracking open of a third. The two things it goes to is against law enforcement, use the cops as a punching bag or a pinata, and if that fails, go to race, ex- ex- exploit race issues in this country. Two terrible things to do in the first place. And now, now you're seeing it with the exploitation of children and sexuality. That's the egg that's just beginning to crack. My guess is they'll be a little slower to hatch that egg because the polling isn't caught up with the full left-wing agenda in this country. Let me talk more about some specifics on this when we come back, welcoming your calls as well. 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. While you're at our website, 960thepatriot.com, take a look at what we're doing uh, in commemorating Memorial Day. We're calling it, we don't know, we're saying we don't know them all, but we owe them all. We're memorializing those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, the last full measure of devotion, as Lincoln put it, as we honor the price of freedom. We've gotten a bunch of stories. We have room for more. Uh, we're looking for stories from you about uh, f- from family uh, about family members, friends, people you know, those who did pay the ultimate price. Uh, and on the week of May 23rd, which is next week, every day I will read those incredible stories of heroism and sacrifice that you, our listeners, send us. And while we're honoring, obviously, every life, which is every story. We're going to select one random story, uh, one story from ran- at random, where and we will honor uh, the submitter with a flag that has uh, actually flown over the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., flown deliberately in honor, uh, specifically in honor of all the veterans. It was an idea our GM, Jim Ryan, had a great one. So this Memorial Day, share a special part of history with us. Share your special story and listen next week, and uh, you'll likely hear it. 
and uh, you may even get uh, this important uh, commemorative uh, United States flag. All right. Where was I? I was, yes, talking about Joe Biden's new strategy where uh, he is no longer going to work with Democrats, which, you know, may be news to some people, but especially him. He hasn't been, excuse me, not work with Republicans. He hasn't been. He hasn't been working with Republicans. Um, Again, where's the video of any meetings with them? The videos that you saw in uh, profusion with Trump and Obama and certainly all the others before that. Just those are the most recent in our memory. Anyone remember um, the uh, campaign for voting rights that kicked off this year with the Biden presidency and Nancy Pelosi uh, and Stacey Abrams? The the idea to pass a new federal voting rights, uh, a new piece of federal voting rights legislation. I don't remember that. I know we're, we're stretching things going back to January because a lot has transpired since then. A lot has transpired that was, we were told, important, critical, crucial, even started the State of the Union uh, with, like Ukraine, and you hear nothing about anymore. But, but, go back to voting rights in January. Was it working with Republicans when he berated Republicans in Georgia, saying exactly this, at consequential moments in history, you are presented a choice? You can be on the side of Dr. King or you can be on the side of George Wallace. Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln, or do you want to be on the side of Jefferson Davis? That's how he was lambasting Republicans, that they were on the side of Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor. Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor. Two classic, and George Wallace, three classic Democrats. Those were Democrat problems. George Wallace, Democrat. Bull Connor, Democrat. Jefferson Davis, you may recall, was the leader of the um, Confederacy that fought against Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president. Was that working with Republicans doing that? Or when he was asked that month, when Joe Biden was asked that very month, If he had called Mitt Romney to discuss voting rights and Joe Biden had to admit he hadn't. And then the story came out. He hadn't called Mitt Romney since he became president. Now, if you're like me, you're not a very big fan of Mitt Romney. But if you're a Democratic president like Joe Biden and again, moderate, restoring normalcy, all that sort of thing. But even if not moderate and even if not restoring normalcy. Do you not reach out to the most moderate Republican in the Senate? Do you not reach out to the Republican in the Senate most known for his antagonism towards the previous Republican president? That would you would have thought been an easy call for Joe Biden to make. I mean, some people even thought when Joe Biden was elected president that he might reach out to Mitt Romney for a cabinet to offer him a cabinet position under the tradition of Usually most presidents putting a member of the opposite party at some cabinet appointment at some level, not usually a high one, not usually a big one. Although that was broken by Jimmy Carter with an attorney general uh, in his presidency. That having been said, so not even calling Mitt Romney, blasting uh, Republicans for being the party of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. Focus on the Jefferson Davis thing for a moment. Notice how much talk there is in the Democratic 
and mainstream media precincts about Republican uh, and conservative party movement antagonism towards the country. Notice today that we're we're resurrecting the notion of domestic terrorism. Parents showing up at school board meetings, domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorism is what took place in New York, in Buffalo, according to Joe Biden. Um, Notice, too, the turn of mind on these things. Notice how they are saying that none of this is a lone wolf incident. What took place in Buffalo was not a lone wolf incident. What can that possibly mean? Well, it means what the lefties and the liberals have been writing for the past two days, which is that this gunman was inspired by Republican Party talking points and conservative commentators on Fox News. It's an interesting thing for them to try and get away with because for those few who have gotten their hands on this gunman's manifesto, there is no mention of that. There is no mention of the names that have been thrown around by the liberals and the left. All they're doing is taking statements from Tucker Carlson and statements from the manifesto and saying, how could he have gotten them from anywhere else? Well, I'll tell you something. Um, it's it's it's. It's likely, it's likely I have used words, sentence structures, and even sentences from some of my favorite authors without thinking about it or knowing it. It's entirely possible that I have done this. It's entirely possible. Adam Carolla the other day was talking about a bit Bill Maher did and how it was eerily familiar to something he had done several months before. And he said, am I going to get mad at Bill Maher for this? No. I know Bill Maher, A. B, when you're in our business and you see the world in somewhat the same lens, it's not unlikely you're going to end up sounding like one another once in a while. Once in a while, it's not unlikely that you're going to. And I have to tell you, I think when you add that all of that to what Joe Biden is now talking about, which is the default issues of race and racism in America, we need to be afraid. We need to be very afraid. Let me get into that when we get back with some specifics um, that go up to not only Joe Biden and what he said today, but yeah, Someone whose name you haven't heard about in a while. Remember what a landmark heroic moment it was to nominate Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court? Where's that name been? Well, it's back. And some of this flows from her as well. She did a interview with The Washington Post. It's a bit astounding. Bet you haven't heard about it. It may be as hard to get get this interview from The Washington Post out into the rest of the public as it is to get the manifesto from the Buffalo shooter. For reasons I understand, the left doesn't want it out there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is time for our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com, his website, and his radio show every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. here, The Word on Wealth. John, happy Tuesday. Hope you're doing well. Fantastic. Thank you, Seth. You as well. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. Um, 
I want to talk to you about a few things, but before that, you you and I have talked in the past that uh, while we don't have E.F. Hutton around anymore, there are a handful of people that still, when they speak, everyone kind of listens, or almost everyone kind of listens. Right. Um, Jamie Dimon, maybe, is one of those. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Jamie J- Chase, Jerome Dimon, Powell yeah. is one of those. Warren Buffett is one of those, right? Right. Uh, yes, the uh, uh, Oracle of Omaha. Exactly, exactly. And he's making a little news today. Uh, when stocks are down, don't watch the market closely. Now, you and I do watch it closely. It's kind of our jobs. Sure. But uh, what is he driving at here? So, I mean, Warren Buffett is a long-term, obviously, investor. He's been extremely successful. Uh, and one of his things he basically says is, hey, when the markets are tumultuous, term, you know, when there's turmoil, when there's, you know, the, the amount of volatility we're seeing, uh, his quote here is, I would tell investors, don't watch the market closely, he said, during the period of wild market fluctuations. He's more of a, you know, just kind of turn it off for a while, and long term, 10, 20, 30 years, he says, down the road, if you're buying good quality stocks and investments, that you'll have good results. And uh, he's proven that to be true. And there are many people out there, Seth, that over time, if they were diligent in making those contributions to their retirement accounts over the years and didn't do too much in the way of, uh, you know, panicking when the markets uh, had these volatile times and sold at the bottom and never got back in in time to take advantage of a recovery, most likely they've been pretty successful in their retirement uh, planning. So that is his strategy long term. Now, I would say this is that it's not as if if he's not making any changes to his portfolio. If he likes a position, he's adding to it during periods uh, when we see these pullbacks. He had made his announcement at his at his quarterly uh, review for his investors uh, that they added much more to Apple. They uh, added much more to other uh, areas of the market as well that they feel are very very good investment at this point in time based on the pullbacks. He likes so, – yeah, go ahead. Go, sorry. No, you go. go ahead. I was just going to say one of the things he says, if I'm reading him right, is he likes index funds, which we've talked about here, yes. right, to diversify the portfolio, which kind of – to me a little bit – you'll straighten me out on this. To me a little bit seems to go – um, a little bit, a, a little bit. It seems to go against the notion of buying individual companies, and 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 now he can, of course, right. he right. he he's 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 situated in a special place where he can do it. Do we advise looking at individual companies and just getting in the stock, or you know, putting your stock, uh, putting your stock portfolio in those things, picking and choosing over index funds? Or is it best to have an index fund, and then if you have leftovers, go look at the individuals? It's interesting. I'm going to talk about this on my show this week, Good. On Saturday, Good. briefly, that about the difference between macro and micro okay. when it comes to your investing. So we could take a macro approach, and we can buy an index fund, an S&P 500 index fund. That means we will hold all 11 sectors of that index, and we'll hold 500 different companies. And that's what he talks about here. He says recommending buying index funds such as the S&P 500. That gives people exposure to companies like Apple without having to buy the right. individual stock. Right. And it also, if a company has a bad report, like we saw Walmart came out with a report that they did not do as well as expected, 
and the stock got hit pretty hard. On the other side of it, Home Depot came out, and they had a good report, and their stock actually went up. So you've got two different companies, both retailers, right? One mm-hmm. may be a little more exposure to the consumer uh, staple side of things with Walmart, and one a little bit more to the consumer discretion side with Home Depot. But both of those sectors are in the S&P 500, and you would own both of those stocks. If you're a person that can do the individual research needed in order to be qualified maybe to, say, buy stocks individually, then fine. But understand that there is more risk associated with that by taking that more of a micro approach. One other way to do somewhere in the middle can be investing in sectors, which we do for our clients. So, Uh, uh, Yeah, can we pick up a little bit on that tomorrow? I would love to talk a little bit more about that tomorrow because – you know, growing up, we thought of things differently. You know, back in the right. 80s, we thought of this a little differently, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We sure did. Yeah, let, let's pick up on that tomorrow, John, if you don't mind. I'd love to. Sounds great. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finrin Sipkin, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. You're the best, Thank John. You, Thank okay. you, brother. Until tomorrow. If you're looking for a great investment opportunity, remarkably unique investment opportunity with a great return, I want you to check out Why Refi. These are my friends. I've become friends with them and uh, spending a lot of time with them. What they are offering is a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. What they do is they help people dig out of debt, get out of debt by doing the right thing and paying off their debts. Doing it all, you know, with dignity and getting their FICO scores fixed along the way as well. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's run by great people who are doing very well themselves by helping others. They figured something really interesting out. You can be part of that as well. They're a local company. You can visit them. And uh, I would just suggest take a quick bite of the apple by checking them out on their website at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. I was talking about uh, the uh, dual efforts that some wisdom in the political circumference of the left is offering to the Biden administration that they seem to be taking, which is exploit race and don't work with Republicans. It, it, it's, it's not two things. That's, that's, that's all one thing uh, to the left and to the Democratic Party. And notice, notice some of the language uh, that's going to be used. Uh, I'll point it out. I think these guys at Issues and Insights do a really good job. Uh, this, this should frame it well. In the span of one month, there were two mass shootings. Both took place in New York. Both were racially motivated. Both shooters were violent extremists. But the media tied only one of them to a mainstream political party, and the Democratic Party only tied one of them to a mainstream political party. Can you guess why? Immediately after the identity of the alleged Buffalo shooter, initially charged with uh, one murder and suspected of killing 10 became known, the chattering class was insisting that he was not a lone wolf and pinned the blame for the massacre on 
right-wing extremists who control the Republican Party. This is all going to be of a piece. Right-wing, extreme, Republican Party. They tie it all together into one propagandistic framing of thought and mind. One of the interesting things I just want to pause for a moment and reflect on is when it comes to real terrorism, when it comes to real terrorism, they're the same exact people that try to insist that these are lone wolf actions and lone wolf actors, whether it's Nadal Hassan, whether it's any of them, any of them. I don't even need to go through their names in the incidents. Every single time, not part of a bigger scheme, not part of a bigger ideology, not part of a bigger political motivation, just a lone wolf who happened to be of a certain theology's extremist elements. It just happened to be. But nowhere did he, the terrorist, ever get any of that information, any of it, any of that ideology, any of that thinking. Never did he ever get it from something broader than the recesses of his own mind. Right? Right. The Rolling Stone, as we discussed yesterday, titled its piece uh, about the shooter uh, yesterday, uh, they said there's no such thing as a lone wolf, and the shooter was, quote, unquote, a mainstream Republican, a mainstream Republican. Quote, there are only those people who fed a steady diet of violent propaganda and stochastic terror take annihilatory rhetoric to its logical conclusion. Annihilatory rhetoric. Stochastic terror, violent propaganda. What's violent propaganda? I have a sense of what I think they mean by violent propaganda. You know, violent propaganda would be uh, a movie or a play assassinating the president. Violent propaganda might be a video holding a decapitated head of the president. That's that. seems to me violent, propagandistic, threatening to blow up the White House. The funny thing about those examples, when one thinks of violent political rhetoric, is that was all done on the previous president. So it couldn't have been conservative Republicans, right? How, how does that work? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. An L.A. Times op-ed Yesterday declared that, quote, the Buffalo gunman emerged from a far right ecosystem that's gone mainstream, close quote. Pause, pause on these sentences and ask what mainstream Republican or for that matter, what conservative Republican have you heard, defend, suggest, offer, promote anything close to what was done in Buffalo? Find me the example. Find me the example. I mean, you know, maybe you could find a congressman saying get up in their faces. Um, maybe you could find a senator saying we're coming for you and you've reaped the war. You will inherit the whirlwind. Um, maybe you could find examples of things like that. But then again, then again, um, those would be Democrats. Those would be Democrats who talk like that. Chasing cabinet members out of restaurants. Again, that's the previous presidency. Not this one. Not this one. Not that ecosystem, is it? Is that what's gone mainstream? I don't know. New York Times weighed in with an article headline, quote, replacement theory, a fringe belief fueled online is refashioned by GOP, close quote. 
name, former Bill Clinton press secretary Joe Lockhart, tweeted, quote, more blood on the hands of Tucker Carlson and Fox News. This killer used their racist talking points to justify killing 10 people, close quote. Um, It's hard to sue a public figure for defamation. It's hard to sue for defamation when you're a public figure. It's hard to sue for slander and libel when you happen to be a public figure. Fox News and Tucker Carlson are public figures. Um, They may have a case here. They may have a case. What evidence that there is blood on the hands of Tucker Carlson or Fox News? Anyone know of a single example, a single one, where they encouraged violence along the lines of the people I quoted above, Chuck Schumer, Maxine Waters, Kamala Harris? We could go on and on. Never mind that aside from being a racist, the alleged shooter's views were all over the map. Stop for a moment before we even get into this dark hole of the shooter's views in the manifesto. Stop for a moment before we even get there. Go back to what I said yesterday. The kid was 18. 18. How well a developed mind do you think? How well a developed philosophy do you think this 18-year-old or any 18-year-old outside of, you know, a young genius a child genius. What, what what kind of well-developed theory, philosophy of life, or meaning could an 18-year-old possibly have? Possibly. I have more to say. So does Issues and Insights. We'll do it when we come back. We'll be right back. Portions of the show brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website. They're fruits and veggies. I take them every day. You just take them once a day. Uh, all natural, pure, potent plant power. 100% pure. That's all it is. Uh, 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in one daily dose. It's a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. All the good, potent stuff. Keeps your energy high, your health in great shape, and your immunity boosted. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code balance. All right. This 18-year-old issues and insights writes, never mind that aside from being a racist, the alleged shooter's views were all over the map. In his manifesto, he says such things as you can call me an ethno-nationalist, eco-fascist, national socialist if you want, and I wouldn't disagree with you. PJ Media's Matt Margulis read the manifesto and points out that there's a repeated attack on capitalists and he rejected the conservative label because he wrote, quote, conservatism is corporatism in disguise. I want no part of it. How 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 is this 18 year old taking in any way seriously for certain things that he specifically denounces he is taking seriously? Why are they tying the conservative movement to him when he says, I want no part of the conservative movement? Can you understand now why it's so hard to get your hands on the manifesto? Can you understand why they take it down anytime it makes an appearance on some website? Yeah, because they don't want you to read it for yourselves because you will find out they're lying to you. That's what you will find out. Mostly his views are full of nonsense and garbage. That is at times inconsistent. They are the rantings of a deranged 18-year-old. The people who are quick to exploit the situation to attack Fox News and and conservatives were wrong and should be ashamed of themselves, according to PJ Media's 
Matt Margulis, according to anyone. I I don't think we need to particularly quote that. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Of course, the media aren't always so exploitive in the wake of mass shootings. Often they are very careful to wait for the facts and never want to speculate about motives. Case in point, just one month before the Buffalo shooting, a gunman threw smoke grenades in a New York City subway car filled with commuters and then opened fire, unloading 33 rounds before fleeing the scene. Anyone remember how long that story lasted throughout the day? Because he was on the he was on the lamb, he was on the loose, he was on the run, and we couldn't find him. Does anyone remember that? It was a whole day story, and then dead. Ten suffered gunshot wounds. The same number authorities say the Buffalo shooter killed, and 19 more had to be treated for smoke inhalation. Mercifully, none died, but all of them could have. The alleged shooter, not 18, 62 years old, was a radical, just as incendiary as the one in Buffalo. The difference was. Last month's was a black nationalist. That's the difference. It's one rule for the Greeks and one rule for the Romans. It's opinion principle hierarchy here. Opinion principle hierarchy. That's why Nancy Pelosi said when there was a riot in Baltimore, people will do what people will do. And she wasn't talking about the cops. They had to flee the riot. Brandon Weikert coming up.